Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we come to the last chapter of the book of Colossians. The chapter really should start at verse 2 where we're going to start. For some reason, they put the chapter division at verse previous. doesn't really make sense. In case you didn't know, the numbers in your Bible were added about a thousand years after the Bible was written. So you can take them out if you like. They're just a helpful guide that some monks put together to help us find things in the Bible. So Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 2 through 6. The Bible says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make, make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. You may know how you ought to answer each one. Is Christianity an inward religion or an outward religion? Following Christ, Christianity, is it internal or external? Is it a meditation Contemplation, withdrawal from the world, focus on Christ, separated to God? Or is it external, pioneering, forward thinking, engaging? Another way to put it in this passage is, what's God's work and what's our work? God's part and our part. And what we see in these just these few verses, three things, Christianity is about prayer. Prayer is essential to Christianity. Secondly, evangelism is essential to Christianity. And then your whole life should be centered on these things. So prayer, evangelism, and a lifestyle that matches. When we think about living the Christian life, so I use the word religion. Some people are like, well, I don't like religion. Well, religion is how people live their faith. Uh, it's not the source of our faith. It's the practice of our faith. And what does it look like to practice Christianity? You've seen those uh, maybe pictures or stories about the monks out in the desert. There's one guy named Simon. Simon, they called him Simon the Stylite because he got this really tall pillar. I think it was like 30 or 40 feet tall. It's about three feet square, and he sat on it for a long time. can't remember exactly the number, but it was months and maybe years. He just sat up at the top of it. No one could talk to him. They had to send him up food. And that was his expression of true Christianity, totally focused on God, no distractions in the world. That's what the monasteries were about. Monasteries and monks were to withdraw from the 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 clamor of the city and the confusion and the, and the money and the politics and just go out to a community where all they did was pray, read the Bible. Does that sound good sometimes? Get away from everything? But then you have other people 
whose life is consumed by getting out there and engaging with people, doing the work, preaching the gospel. You see him maybe out on the street corners with a sign that says, Jesus saves. It's not as popular now, but you still see it sometimes. They have a microphone, and they're standing on a box, and they're preaching, repent, believe, Christ is coming. And they're just doing anything they can to get to people with the message. Well, which is it? Which one's Christianity? Which is the model? So what this does, it says both. Both of the model. Do both. Not in the same way, obviously. There has to be some sort of combination. What's that combination look like? So the first thing we see, Christianity is an inward-focused, internal, in some ways separated expression of faith. And we call that prayer. Prayer, you don't pray to people. You don't pray to the world. You don't pray to politics. You pray to God. The spiritual connection you have with God is internal. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Christ rules in your heart. Therefore, prayer is inward focused. Not inward to yourself, but inward to the Spirit within you. Or another way of saying it is it's upward to heaven, not to earth. So it's you, in prayer, you sort of block out the world and you focus on God. So he says, continue earnestly in prayer, talking to God, connecting with God. It's an essential part of, of Christianity. In other words, if you're not praying, you're not practicing Christianity. Jesus, who we follow, is the example. In Luke 5.16, Explaining Jesus' pattern of ministry on earth, he said, it says, So he himself, Christ, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Why the wilderness? Have you ever had to try to think when there's a lot of people around you? And they're talking to you and they're trying to get your attention. If you have, you have little kids sometimes, they just won't leave you alone. Just trying to have a moment of peace. That's necessary. And so Jesus said he would often withdraw into the wilderness away from everybody and pray. Get away from everybody, five seconds, and talk to God. Disconnect from the world. If you're constantly connected with people, you can't focus on God. This is one of the dangers of social media. You're never really alone. You're always connected, even when there's nobody around. So if this were modern day, it said, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness where there was no Wi-Fi or cell phone signal and prayed. That's the application. He had to get away from everybody. He would get in a boat and go to the other side just so people would leave him alone so that he could pray and focus, meditate, center himself on God. And then he expects us to do the same. Jesus says, when he's, disciples say, teach us. He said, when you pray, not if you pray, or you should pray. Jesus says, when you pray. Because to follow Christ is to be like Christ. And Christ prayed, so we pray. Martin Luther said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so is the business of Christians to pray. To follow Christ it means to focus on Christ. It means to talk to Christ. It means to speak to him. It means to interact with him, engage with him. That's what prayer is. So if you're not praying, 
You're cutting yourself off from essential Christianity. Now, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit still lives in you. You're just ignoring him. God still cares about you. You're just ignoring him. So lack of prayer does not separate you from God. It just ignores God. But true Christianity is saying, whatever else is going on in the world, I can always pray. The promise and the hope of Christianity is I can always look at God and that's the same. And everyone else can be going crazy and the world can be going crazy and politics can be crazy and work can be crazy. But when I talk to God, that's it. And that keeps you sane. If you can't get away and disconnect and focus on something that's stable, you will become, as my dad said, discombobulated. You'll be internal, there'll be anxiety. There'll be frustration. There'll be, you'll be unsettled. You'll never, uh, there's be, sometimes you can't even name it, but there's something wrong with you. But when you focus on God in prayer, you contemplate, you meditate. You disconnect from the bad things and focus on the good. So prayer is essential to Christianity. It's essential to being human because Christianity gives you what it means to be truly human. So to cut yourself off from prayer is to cut yourself off from being a human, which is why other religions are so faithful to prayer. Often, we can get better examples of a life of prayer from other religions. Islam's a perfect example. When you think of Islam, you think of them praying. They pull their rug out five times a day. They bow towards Mecca. They have this ritual. Now, they're not praying to God, yet their patterns and their habits show that they value prayer. What about us? So we have this idea of like, well, we don't need to pray to get favor with God, so we're just not going to. We're not superior to Muslims because we pray less. The Christian faith is superior to Islam because of Christ. Amen. Amen. And unfortunately, the world often has better habits than Christians do. So instead of saying, we don't need to do anything, we don't need to pray because we're always going to be connected with God through Christ, let's say because we're connected to God through Christ, we pray. And make prayer a habit. So what is the... so? It's essential, but what's the manner of prayer? So he tells us, it's not just pray, just that's it. He tells us the manner of praying. He says, continue earnestly in prayer. You're devoted to it. Continue earnestly, steadfastly. Some versions say, devoted to prayer. Are you devoted to prayer? Everyone's devoted to something. Are you devoted to your family? If you were to prove your devotion to somebody... Someone says, do you care about your family? Are you devoted to them? What would you use to show your devotion? Time? Sacrifice? Planning? Priorities? What about work? Man, he's devoted to that job. He shows up early. He leaves late. He plans out his day. He focuses on the task at hand. So if you're devoted to prayer, how do we know? You prioritize it. You plan it out. You sacrifice for it. You make sure that prayer is on the to-do list and it doesn't get bumped off. Does that seem too formal? No, it sounds devoted. So continue earnestly in prayer means put it on your priority list, plan for it, 
be prepared for it, or as humans, it'll go away. John Piper says, we get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life, but nothing is ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. Just this sense of, we should pray. I want to pray. I feel bad when I don't pray. But that's all we do. When you're devoted to prayer, you make sure it's on the schedule. You make sure it's on the schedule. And it's not a ritual. You see, this is what makes us different than many other religions, or most other religions. When a Muslim prays, they have a ritual. They have a, a, a phrase that they say. They have a, a body motion that they repeat. If you look at Eastern religions, they spin the prayer wheels. But what does Christianity say? Be vigilant. Be watchful. Be awake. Be aware. It's not, it's not blind ritual. You just sort of check out. You just go through the, the rote memorization. You think of the mantra of Eastern religions. But often we can do the same thing. You ever prayed for your food? The same way every time? Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Help us have a good day today. Amen. That's not vigilance. That's not watchfulness. That's ceremony. That's mindless. You could have been focusing on anything else in the world. But the Bible says be vigilant in it. Be aware. We need to recognize that it's extremely difficult for us to not think about other things when we're praying. There's a man named George Mueller, and if you ever go to England and go to the place where he had an orphanage in the 1800s, he has about eight or nine buildings about the size of this building that he got through gifts that he never publicized. So he said, I would pray, and they would come in. He would, he would house hundreds of children and never advertise his needs. And things would show up, and he accounted for prayer. So Mueller has always been recognized as one of the great prayer warriors. And we think, man, I wish I could be like Mueller. He must have really loved to pray. Listen to what he says. He would pray for hours a day, pray an hour every morning. He says, I often spend a quarter of an hour or in half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of the soul. He spent an hour praying with no results. It didn't do anything for him. Doesn't sound like this sort of great prayer warrior, does it? Sounds like a normal guy. But it gets even worse. He says, and often, after having suffered much from wandering of mind. You ever tried to pray and all of a sudden you're starting to think about everything else? How long did this last? For the first 10 minutes, or a quarter of an hour, or even half an hour, and only then really began to pray. This great prayer warrior sat there for 30 minutes and thought about everything else but praying. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me. Except for the 30 minutes part, maybe. In other words, this great prayer warrior was just like the rest of us. He could barely focus his mind. It's normal and human to have trouble concentrating. You'll never get past that. So if you think, oh, I can't pray because I can't pay attention, that's the rest of your life. So what does that mean? We give up? See, devoting yourself to prayer means saying it's hard. 
because I want to think about other things, but I'm going to do it anyway. But the Bible gives us a clue. How do you stay vigilant when you're constantly distracted? You have to have something to focus on. Sometimes you just say, okay, I'm going to pray. Oh, man, I forgot to get the car fixed. You just sit there and you just try to, like, think. Empty your mind, as it were. And all the stuff that you actually care about comes flooding back in. But look what the Bible says. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. This is the method of prayer. How do you pray? You don't sit there with an empty mind just waiting. Because you will fill it with the world's things, with the daily life things. It says, be vigilant with thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is saying, think about something particular that God has given you and respond to him. And this is what Mueller figured out. He said, I sat there for 30 minutes to an hour with nothing. He goes, but then I changed my plan up. He said, I would read a verse of the Bible, and I would dwell on it for a minute. And automatically, without realizing, I would start to talk back to God. He didn't have to force it. He didn't have to sort of concentrate. So what the Bible's saying here, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You go to pray and you say, God, what have you given me today? Let me think about that. Oh, I've got whatever. Thank you, Lord, for giving me specifically the car that needs to be fixed. Thank you for giving me that. And thank you for giving me uh, the ability to get the car fixed. You see what you're doing? You're praying. But not just abstractly, you're focusing. You cannot just simply go into prayer and just wait or hope something will happen. You need to focus. Be vigilant with thanksgiving. Read the scripture and say, what does the Bible say? Now, what does that mean for me? What has God given to me? So when he says, even this verse here, continue earnestly in prayer. Meditate on that. What does that mean? As you pray, you say, God, I can pray to you. Wow, God, I have a connection with you. Of all the religions in the world, only Christianity gives me a way to talk to you directly, God. You're praying. Where'd you get the source of prayer from? God's gifts to us. So prayer is about responding to God. It's about meditating on what he's given us and speaking back to him. So when you find yourself stuck with prayer, don't know what to do, think about something God's given to you. Whether in the word, in the sermon, in the music, in your life, in your family, and then respond to God through that. And you'll find that prayer now has a structure to it. It's not this sort of like great discipline and spirituality that you have. It's simply just speaking back to God. Prayer should be eventually joyful. Now, it takes work. Mueller prayed an hour in the morning. Great. You're probably not going to start there. But if you timed yourself, if you prayed for five straight minutes, you'd be shocked how long that is. You would be absolutely shocked that you could pray for five straight minutes. But if that's where you are, that's where you are. If all you can do is pray for 60 seconds straight, do it. Start where you are. Sometimes you're like, well, I can't pray like Mueller, so what's the point? No, devote yourself to prayer. Maybe this month it's 30 seconds of prayer every day. And next month it's two minutes. 
but you're working towards a relationship with God. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's the inward focus, the inward life of a Christian. But that's not all Christianity is. Continue earnestly in prayer. And then verse 3, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God will open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Christianity is not just about getting your inner spirit fixed. It's also about getting that message to other people. To be a Christian is to love to talk to God, but it's also to love to talk to people about God. If you're following Christ, if Christ is all, if all we have is Christ, that means other people need him too. And if we have him, then we need to give that to other people. So Paul says, when you pray, pray for your things, but pray for other people too. We call this evangelism. Evangelism comes from the word for good news, giving the good news. The good news that Christ died for us. But you have to pray for it. Now, if, are you ever intimidated by talking to Jesus, talking about Jesus to other people? Like, I don't know what to say. I'm not smart enough. I'm not trained enough. I'm not nice enough. I'm not fun enough. Whatever. I don't have the answers or questions. All this stuff I can't do. Notice what Paul says first. Pray. The first step in sharing your faith with others is asking God to help you share your faith. Because what we're talking about here is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You will never be smart enough. You will never be trained enough. You will never be good enough to truly give out the gospel. So you pray and say, God, you do the work. You change the hearts. You convict. You draw. And I'll just do what I can. And the burden is not on us. See, prayer is putting the burden on God. Prayer is saying, God, you handle it because I can't, which is exactly what God wants from us. It's for us to put the burden on him because he's the only one who can carry it. So when we think about sharing our faith with others, talking to others about Christianity, the first thing we do is say, God, you have to do the work because I'm going to mess it up. I am certainly going to mess it up and offend somebody. So we pray that God and his power will go before us and with us, open to us a door for the word. How many of you do not speak about your faith like you want to? And you think, no one, no one asked me. When am I supposed to do it? In the middle of another conversation, just say, hold on a second, everybody. I want to tell you about Jesus, my Lord and Savior. (laughs) What are we looking for? An opportunity. But look what Paul says. Did you pray for it? Open to us a door for the word where someone does ask you. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to pray to God and say, God, I'm so insecure and unsure that I need someone to ask me about my own faith. Because then I can answer them. But I can't make the first step. If that's what it takes, you pray that. You pray that God will give you an open door for the gospel. But then what do you need to do? you got to walk through it. you got to have an answer for that person. You see, Paul says, an open door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. God changes people. So what's your job? To clearly tell them about Jesus. Just make it clear. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be wise. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be even convincing. Just needs to be clear. 
You see, the mystery of Christ. Why is it called a mystery? Because if you went out and you read secular books and you looked at the sky and you watched the news, you don't hear about Jesus. You only know about Jesus because God tells us in the Bible. So in a sense, it's hidden. But it's not meant to be hidden forever. It's meant to be shared. So the mystery means that we know the mystery and our job is to reveal the mystery, not to keep it a secret. It's not a secret religion. It's a, re- a religion of revelation, of revealing, which means your job is simply to know what Christ did and know it well enough to clearly tell someone when they ask you. Do we know the gospel? If someone says, what is Christianity? Do we have a clear answer? Someone says, well, what kind of religion do you practice? Do we have a clear answer? Or do we say, well, I don't know, I mean, it's like we sing and we go to church and we try to love people. Yeah, that's part of it, but what's the core? What's the manifest mystery? Is God reconciling the world to himself in Christ? Christ bringing us to God by his death on the cross, calling us to believe that. You need to internalize that. You need to be able to give an answer that's clear about what the mystery is. Otherwise, when you pray for an opportunity and God gives you an opportunity, what are you going to say? Remember when Paul was in jail and the prison doors open and he walks out free and the Philippian jailer says, oh no, I'm going to die. He actually put his sword, he's going to kill himself because the prisoners got free. Paul said, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And then he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Now, don't we all want that? Someone just says, just walks up and says, please tell me about Jesus. Okay. Do you have an answer? Do you have a direct answer for a direct question? I'm afraid many of us would say, come to church with me on Sunday. Let me give you a book to read. Uh, My pastor could explain it better than I can. No. Make manifest, clear the gospel. So God's power through prayer, God's message, which is the gospel of God's messenger, needs to be clear. But here's the thing about Christianity. If you follow Christ, you must suffer like Christ. You know why it's hard to share your faith? Because no one really wants to hear it. It's not part of this world. And your life will be a lot easier if you just keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself. No one will bother you. You can come to church every Sunday. We live in America. No one's going to really bother you about going to church. And you just have a nice, quiet life with no interruptions. But look what Paul says. Praying for us that we have an open door for which I am also in chains. Paul's saying, give me more opportunities to preach the gospel, which will put me in jail. Is that what we're praying? Give me whatever it takes to share the gospel. So you want to answer the Philippian jailer's question? You want someone to say, what must I do to be saved? Have you asked to go to jail for it? Have you asked God to put you in prison so that you can give an answer? Oh, I meant at lunch at work, someone politely and kindly asked me if they if I would explain the faith to them. But yeah, sure, that sounds great, doesn't it? But they didn't kill Jesus because he was unkind. So why are we living a comfortable life? Because we're not praying to God to give us hardship in order to share the faith. But that's exactly what Paul was doing. I'm also in chains. 
See, this is the gospel way. This is the Christian way. In Acts chapter 5, some of the other disciples were brought before the council because they were preaching Jesus. And the council says, okay, we don't know what to do with them, but let's just tell them not to do it. And when they called them for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Being beaten. So the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wait, they were rejoicing because they got beaten. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, we've, I think we don't understand this because we think suffering for Christ is sort of this duty that we have to just sort of Make it hard for Jesus. You know, like, oh, I gotta be, just do hard things for Jesus and everything has to be really difficult all the time. And that's just the way it is, just suffering for Jesus. Why'd they rejoice? Because when you beat somebody for something they said, what's everybody wanting to know? What'd they say? You ever had a book that was banned? What's everybody do? They go buy the book. They weren't glad that they were physically hurt. They were glad that the name of Jesus was now getting out more. That's what the martyrs wanted. Not to sort of gain a special place in heaven, to get rewards. It was to share Jesus. So in England, about 500 years ago, they would burn Christians at the stake. Just imagine that. It's pretty bad. Pile of wood, a post, you tie a guy to the post, you light the fire, and you watch him burn. It's gruesome. Does anybody want to do that? Like, oh, man, I'm glad we live in America. So one guy, Latimer, and his friend Ridley, preached the gospel, were brought to the stake, and his last words were recorded as he spoke to his friend. Now, what would give him the strength to endure this kind of suffering? Because we think he must have been a great Christian. He must have just been really strong and just able to suffer. Here's what he said. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Ridley knew that if he were burned at the stake, then everybody in England would want to know why. Why did they kill him for it? What was he saying exactly that warranted a death sentence. In other words, what is the gospel? That's what motivated him to die. He said, if I die, people will be asking specifically, what is the gospel? That's the motivation. To suffer not for suffering's sake or to be holy, but because people will want to know why you're suffering. Currently in China, Christians are being persecuted. And about two months ago, a pastor and a hundred of his congregants were, were arrested and put in jail. And his name was Wang Yi. And he released a letter. December 18, 2018. He says, I hope God uses me. And he's currently in prison right now. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there's an authority higher than their authority. And that there's a freedom that they cannot restrain. A freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. 
Do you know who read this letter? Everybody. Every politician in China read this letter. All around the world, people are reading a letter that says, I serve Christ, and you should too. And so this pastor who's in jail right now was glad to be put in jail because he knew people would listen to his message. Suffering is not for suffering's sake. It's to get the message out. So he says here that we, that we are to pray, but we're also to share it, to be devoted to it, to be ready to share it. Look at these last verses. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. You don't wait until the moment. You live a life that gets you ready for the moment, that produces moments. Your whole life is geared around sharing the gospel with other people, with yourself, with the world. So he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. You plan each moment of your life. You take into account and say, what will this look like to people outside of the faith? Will it make them want to know about the gospel or not want to know? Devotion to evangelism means creativity, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time there means making the most of every opportunity. You're creative. You're saying, how can I use this? You don't just sit and wait. You actively pursue opportunities and conditions. You join clubs. You go meet with people. You have parties at your house. Whatever it is, you're, you're creating opportunities. You're redeeming the time. Because for some of the people that you talk to, this will be the last time you talk to them. You don't know people's future. You don't know your own future. Amen. Amen. So every moment is geared towards something. There's a purpose to our life. We don't just drift aimlessly towards heaven waiting for God to take us. We work. There's planning involved. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. See the preparation? What's interesting about this letter that this Chinese pastor wrote that was released 48 hours after he, he was in prison, he wrote it months ahead of time. He said, it looks like I might get thrown in jail. And once I'm in jail, they won't let me say anything. So I'm going to write this letter two months ahead of time and give it to some people. And when I get in prison, release it. Are we doing that? That sort of forward thinking, planning out how we can share the gospel, or are we just passively waiting? But if we're passively waiting, then we don't really care that much. If we know that Christ died for our sins and that he is the answer for those who have sin, that motivates us. It's not guilt, like, oh, you better share your faith or you're not a good Christian. No. You believe the gospel and you want others to believe it. So if you're not sharing your faith, do you know your faith? Do you know that Christ died for your sins? Do you ever think about that? So often our lack of evangelism, our lack of planning, and our lack of prioritizing is because we don't really think about it. But a Christian life focuses on the gospel. And as a result, we share it with others. A gospel lifestyle. Let your speech Always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Always. See, we know that when we're sharing the faith, we want to be careful how we talk to people. We don't want to be offensive or oppressive or pushy. But when we're talking about sports, oh, we can be pushy and offensive then. 
You know you're the same person when you're talking about one subject as when you're talking about the other subject. If you can't talk about politics with grace, you're not going to be able to talk about Christ with grace. Because the same person will listen to you be rude and short and aggressive and hostile about whatever you care about over here. And then when you share the gospel with them, they're saying, that doesn't match. In fact, I don't even want to hear about your faith because you irritated me so much with everything else you talked about. The Bible specifically says, make sure your speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now think about your whole life. What are your hobbies? What are your passions? How do you talk about them with other people? Education? Children? Work? Politics? Money? If you were to share the gospel in the same way as you talked about those things, what would the result be? Not so nice. So a gospel-centered life means making sure you talk about other things in a way that will lead them to talking about the gospel. Taking advantage of every opportunity that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Each one what? Each person. You can't talk to everybody the same. you got to listen to people. You have to listen to what they're saying to you so you can respond appropriately. That's what the Bible says. You have to listen to their question. Someone says to you, well, so often we're like, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible is true. We've got the answer already pre-planned, no matter who says it. That is, you don't love people. You don't care about people. Evangelism starts in your interaction with listening to people, asking them what they care about, what bothers them, knowing that you have the answer, but you've got to craft a message for each person that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. Each person, each question, everyone's different. And if you've got this sort of stock Romans Road answer, you're not going to reach people. That's the problem with sort of putting up Jesus saves on a sign. Absolutely true, Jesus does save. But that's not how you reach people. The sort of just blanket statement. You've got to talk to someone face to face, get to know them, so you can share the gospel with them. Amen. You see what God's doing? He's saying, treat people like I treated you. Everything in Christ's life was centered around getting us to follow God. Came to this earth to find us. He died on the cross to save us. He rose again to connect us with God. He deals with us individually. He doesn't deal with you like he deals with everybody else. So when we follow Christ, we center our lives around sharing the same message that Jesus shared about loving people where they are, about caring for individuals. That's what Christianity is. That's the Christian faith. Center yourself on God through prayer, on the message of God through Christ, and then turn around and share that message with the world. If you're not doing that, you're not following Christ. Some of you may need to follow Christ. Some of you may not even know who Christ is. You think you know, he's some guy who died on the cross, but unless he saved you individually, you're lost. Unless you personally have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus, unless you can pray to him right now and say, Jesus, I'm with you, we have a connection. If you don't have that, you're lost. And you can have a connection with every other Christian in the world, but not one with Christ, 
you've got nothing. Unless you can pray directly to God, it doesn't matter who else you talk to. So as a church, let's center ourselves on God. And as a result, our lives will be centered on sharing his message. Let's pray.